Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Bet Online still remains your number one source for all your football betting needs this season. You'll find the latest odds, matchup info, player news, and game trends. And as your continued source for all sports wagering info, Bet Online features live betting, free contests, live scores, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest, the easiest. It's the best way to bet all your favorite sports and events like MLB, MMA, tennis, boxing, even golf. Head on over to betonline.ag, join and receive your 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use the promo code BLEAV to receive your rewards. Bet online where the game starts. Thank you so much Bet Online for bringing this podcast to the people. Hello, everyone. It's the Mikey Likes You podcast. I am Mikey who likes. You are you who is liked. Woo! Woo! What a great system. It's clear. It's clean. Let me take these out. Nicotine. Nicotine, the great drug. Underrated. Misunderstood. Tobacco is not good for you. But nicotine in uh, isolation... They've uh, had a lot of great discoveries as far as like appetite suppression, uh, cognitive benefit, uh, other crap, metabolic stuff. None of it's super conclusive. What is super conclusive is that if you isolate nicotine away from most of the vehicles that get it into your body, it's actually, it's at at the very least, the one thing they can say for sure is that it's not harmful. It's a Q and A, and that's how this works. I go on at Mike Catherwood or at Mikey Likes You One, the number one, and I solicit for questions. I say, hey, you guys got any questions? And then you go, yeah, I do. And then you put a question down there. And then I answer it here on this show. That's how it works. So let's get right into it, okay? Without further ado, 1213MMA. Is Loveline coming back? Well, interesting question. I'm going to say yes. Okay, I don't have all the details. I don't have all, but I'm going to, as my wife always tells me, change your language, change your attitude around it and and manifest it into reality. And uh, there is work being put in by the relevant people involved to try to do something where Dr. Drew and I would bring that back. Unhumane W man or unhuman U man or human unhuman new man. Let's just get right to it. Hey there, Mike. I'm five foot eight, two twenty-five, currently working out twice a day, six days a week. Wow. Run three to five miles once I wake, usually fasted, and then five hours later. I do strength training. I'm moderately strong, 1,100 pound total. You're strong. Compared to humans at large, you're strong. I'm looking to run more as I found when I tried to build my strength up, I always seem to get pretty devastatingly injured. My question is, are there any tricks to help minimize the inevitable muscle loss that will happen from an uptick in cardio? All right, there's a lot to unpack there. My first question to you is, what is, what's your goal? What's your main goal? Because if, and if you want to be an excellent runner, world-class runner, 
then continue doing what you're doing and then maybe taper down the strength training to best serve your running. But it doesn't seem like you want to be because you're training six days a week, twice a day. And they're not, you know, like running fartleks in the morning and then running time trials in the afternoon. You know what I'm saying? Like it doesn't seem that you're geared towards excellence in distance running. You're, you're trying to look amazing and, and, and function at a high level. And my number one thing I would say to you is instead of trying to taper down the strength training because that's where you get injured, don't try to do so much and certainly don't be running so much if that's not your main goal. Because I will tell you, if you tried to focus on your strength training while you're continuing to run that many miles, that's why you're getting injured. You're trying to put too many eggs in this one basket. Um, the human body has limits. Fatigue management is the biggest aspect that changes when you're talking about pure physique training as opposed to sports performance, okay? Because a lot of the modalities, a lot of the actual X's and O's are very similar, you know? If you're taking, uh, you know, I got some really good actual hard evidence of MMA training for real high world-class fighters uh, for, for a couple of reasons. One, because I got friendly with a lot of the guys who trained these, these fighters, okay? And I, I'm really close with Nick Curson at Speed of Sport out in the South Bay in Southern California. And he's about as good as anybody in the world. When it comes to speed sports, you know, where, where, where speed and, and speed strength are involved, combat sports, volleyball, baseball, basketball, football, soccer, um, you know, he's as good as anyone, you know, and when it comes to combat training, a lot of high level people go through speed of sport because they know he can get the job done. Um, and I've been personally in the gym training alongside Rafael Dos Anjos, uh, Fabrizio Verdum, Lioto Machida, uh, Aaron Pico. Um, I, I've seen Joe Schilling there. I haven't trained with him, but, uh, um, and you know, you're, super, uh, Jackie, what's her name? Bunt, Jackie Bunton, I think is her name. Muay Thai fighter, female Muay Thai fighter. Um, you know, so world-class people. I got to see, I got to see the breakdown. And the big difference when you're talking about like performance, when you want to have endurance-based performance for something like combat sports or something that you're training for, let's say, uh, running a lot, you know, is fatigue management. Okay, because bodybuilding and, and physique training uh, the only thing that you have to manage is your fatigue from the training, okay, and how it plays in with your diet, okay? Try to eat the correct amount of food to achieve your goal as far as it's concerned and related to your training and your lifestyle. But when you're talking about something like MMA, you know, when you saw Stan Efferding break down a lot of what was going on with John Jones in his preparation for his recent fight with Cyril Ghosn, okay? She's going up to heavyweight. There has to be a lot of strength and conditioning put in. And, you know, the number one thing he was talking about that he kept trying to hammer home is fatigue management, okay? Because they weren't looking to get a power lifter up to 250 pounds. They weren't looking to get a bodybuilder up to 250 pounds. They were looking to get someone who is commonly engaged in three or four things that are very physically taxing throughout the day. And you have made that choice, personally made that choice, unhuman, unhuman Newman. Um, 
you have made that choice. You're going to train. That's a lot of training. It's a lot of training. It's, in my opinion, absolutely unnecessary unless you're trying to do something that necessitates that. CrossFit games, some type of like really high level endurance race, Spartan race, something like that. Because training twice a day, six days a week is way more than I train. Way more. And... Um, I'm going to ask you, are, like, what are your goals? Because if your goal is to just look better and feel better, the number one thing I'd say is don't taper off on the strength training. Taper off on the endurance training because I'm not saying it's useless and I'm certainly not saying it's a bad thing to do. What I am saying is that that is far more likely leading to your injuries and deteriorating your ability to get stronger and stay healthy. Okay? Anytime... You injure yourself weight training. Something's wrong. It has nothing. It's not the exercise's fault. It's not the training's fault. It's something is off. It is dysfunction in your movement patterns. There is a pre-existing injury or there is outside of the gym, outside of strength training activity going on that is preventing you from training properly. And at 225 pounds, uh, it's almost impossible for you to be running three to five miles a day and not causing aggressive trauma to your lower body, okay? Um, if, you're, if you're like one of these guys like Nick Bear, for instance, or, or one of these people who is big but also has put in years of, of time analyzing their running form and really fine-tuning it to the point that it's not causing trauma, then so be it. Then I will just keep my darn mouth shut. But that is overwhelmingly not the truth for most people. Because running seems so plug-and-play, jogging seems so plug-and-play, um, most people just go out and they do it. Because you're like, I've jogged all my life. I had to jog in PE and I had to jog for high school football or high school wrestling, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, hey, I'm just putting one foot in front of the other. And it's really, really not that. Even the most macho idiot is still going to take some time to try to understand proper form when it comes to deadlifting, squatting, bench pressing, fill in the blank. But very few people are going to take the time to really learn how to run before they go out and they run. Because of this, you're talking about really prolonged, really consistent trauma, micro trauma to your body and how it functions. Then you try to put in the time under the barbell and sure enough, you're getting injured. Okay. Now, if running is much more important to you, to your goals, to your lifestyle, then my, my best advice would be to taper off your strength training altogether. You certainly don't need to be strength training six days a week. Nobody needs to be training six days a week, you know? Um, you know maybe maybe top-tier bodybuilders who are doing splits like that who are using a considerable amount of performance-enhancing drugs to aid in their recovery, to make them capable of doing that. And their protein synthesis and their muscle-building abilities is, is very high outside of the drugs. But then you put the drugs in and then you get a uh, a, a situation where you're seeing these guys doing double splits two, twice a day sometimes, six days a week, getting making sure they're training each muscle, each body part twice a week, the whole thing. But that is really overdoing it, really overdoing it for most people. Okay? So um, 
I would say, like, take a good look in the mirror and analyze, like, what are my main goals? If your main goals are to look awesome, if you're 5'8", 225, and I'm assuming you're not super lean, because if you were, if you're 5'8", 225 and under 20% body fat, you would be a fucking brick shithouse. You'd be like IFBB pro bodybuilder, you know? Or like an NFL uh, fullback. Because um, that's beefy, you know? So I have to assume that there's some body fat situation going on there. And you need to, you need to steer away from 35, you know, 21 to 35 miles a week is an overwhelming amount of road work. Bring that down. Maybe work in some sprints instead. Also, if you're going to do that, if you found like you want to keep your aerobic base that high, you want to keep your, your threshold that high, switch to a rower. Switch to uh, uh, um, a, uh, like an um, Airdyne bike, you know, something, because that's at least going to be lower impact and it's going to prevent you from getting into the situation that you're in right now. Um, because I have a huge amount of respect for endurance athletes. I think it's amazing and it's one of the most uh, developmentally positive things you can do because it's, it's a mind game. It's a mind game. We're, we as homo sapiens are really well set up for endurance training. So most all of us, we can do it. You know, you get, you get your time on the bike or you get your time out in the road. You will get better and you will do it. But even the best endurance athletes are faced with that self-talk. You know, when you're mile 12 into a 24-mile race, there's always going to be those voices that are telling you, like, just stop. It hurts. This sucks. I'm thirsty. I'm hungry. I don't know. Do I really need to be doing this? And pass, you know, pushing through those voices and transforming them to be more positive and more therapeutic is incredibly awesome. And I love it. And I think it's my thumbs up to you. I'm just warning you that it is a terrible way to try to make physique changes. It's a terrible way. Okay. Because like I said, fatigue management is a thing. It's a thing for everybody. And when you're talking about that many miles uh, at that, you know, like immediate, uh, medium to low pace or even a medium high pace, that takes so much food to not just wither away and be a miserable fuck. And your metabolic hormones are gonna tank and you're not gonna be very anabolic. It's gonna make sure you're like, you're guaranteeing you're not gonna be like in a very anabolic setting um, internally. Um, so, so these are just things you have to take into consideration. Okay. Uh, let's see here. Mike Mike Keto eleven twenty nine. Hey Mike, can you recommend any lower body workouts for someone that suffered a ruptured Achilles a couple months ago? Mike Keto eleven twenty nine. I'm gonna say no, I can't, and I'm not because I don't want to help you out, but because I feel like it's darn right inappropriate. A ruptured Achilles tendon is a really serious injury, like really serious. And I have no experience with it. And I think it would be irresponsible on my end to start saying like, this is what you need to do because I don't have any knowledge really of what I'm speaking of. And the stakes are super high because continued trauma to the Achilles ruins your whole life. <laughs> the hardest working athlete, arguably the hardest working athlete in any sport of any generation is Kobe Bryant. All the myth... The mythology around his work ethic is largely true. In fact, when I talk to people in the know, people who played with him, people who were in LA sports media that got a chance to watch it, it's actually, it's understated how, how hard that man worked. And, how, and his will to win was so high that he would push through insane injuries. 
when he had his Achilles injury, he was sidelined because that is so crazy tough to deal with. And I would feel awful if I even just spracked off off the top of my head something that seemed like it would be a good idea and that it turned out to be prolonging or even causing more pain for you. Okay, so Mike Keto, I, I, I apologize genuinely. I always want to try my best to help everyone that is nice enough to support this podcast, nice enough to support me, and then to think to take the time to reach out to me with a question. It means a lot to me. It really does. It means a lot to me, and I don't like not being helpful. But I feel like the best way for me to be helpful is to tell you, don't listen to me about anything when it comes to this, and talk to a, a, a professional, not only a, a doctor, but someone who has experience with extreme lower body injuries, okay? Someone who has, re a man or woman who really understands Achilles injuries because it is a very unique and special thing that can be devastating. Um, do most, oh, Domo stole my virginity. Oh, who's Domo and why did he do? Oh. Dude, I sent a pic of the Mexican Spider-Man action figure to Kula Breaker's DMs, but no one checked it out. I, I'm sorry Domo stole my virginity. First off, I'm very sorry about Domo stealing that. He's a dirty thief. But secondly, I can't speak for, for Kulo Breaker and his, his behavior. I know he's getting so popular. Day after day, he gets more and more popular. And he is not the type of guy, he's not a detail-oriented fella. So he probably gets a lot of DMs, and I don't think he's checking them too frequently. But my, my, my heart goes out to you. Nikki Taranta. I just had very hard rounds with Nikki Taranta just earlier today. Nikki Taranta, on your last episode, you spoke a lot about lift variations, specifically pause reps and negatives for squats and deadlifts. What are your thoughts on deficit deadlifts? What about sumo deadlifts? Really good question. Um, my thoughts on deficit deadlifts are they are great, but they are not for everybody. I don't like to, I would much rather someone screw around with lighter weights in the pauses than to start to dive into the deficit deadlift by elongating the range of motion on an exercise that most people have hard time dealing with anyway. The conventional deadlift is something that most people have such a hard time nailing and and it is causing a lot of injury not because the exercise itself is bad but because most people just have a complete inability to understand how the hinge works and how to play it um, in unison with the lower body so then to elongate the range of motion is something that i'm very wary about recommending i'm not saying it's not great i do deficit deadlifts from time to time because i always had trouble off the floor i never had trouble with lockout even with extremely heavy weights because I, you know, I think I spent a lot of time doing rack deads uh, in my bodybuilding days, and it just it, my lockout got really good. But you know, like a lot of athletes, my posterior chain in the lower body, my hammies, my glutes, and my my uh, erectors were weak, so I had trouble off the floor. So I started incorporating deficit deadlifts, and if you feel like you're a a good deadlifter, like you really have nailed down your form. Um, and you understand how to stay tight in the torso and how to use and initiate the movement with the right body parts and not to make it a lower back exercise. Uh, I, I encourage you to use the deficit deadlift as well. But I don't like to incorporate it into my broad spectrum of advice for people because I do think it's, it's, it's a little bit above the pay grade of most people who are training. Um, 
I, you know, I, tr I try to minimize the potential for injury, and it's, it, they're by no means necessary. You know, complex barbell movements are, I think, very necessary for most people, regardless of their goal, regardless of their training history, regardless of their age and gender. But when you start to get into the variations, I'm recommending a lot of times the, the safer versions. When you're talking about deficits, that is not a safer version of the conventional deadlift. In fact, it's quite the opposite. But if you're very good, if you're very good and you're very skilled at the technique of the deadlift, I do encourage them because it will absolutely help you to engage uh, your hams and glutes, like where the ham glute tie-in is there, and really initiate the movement with the proper muscles. And subsequently, it'll make you better off the floor. Um, now, sumo deadlifts, I, rec I think are great. The difference is, is like so some people need to be sumo deadlifting all the time. Some people should choose to sumo deadlift every once in a while. What do I mean by that? Well, it's the same thing with the squat. So you gotta really analyze your biomechanics. Some people have really long limbs, okay? And it's just really difficult. It's really difficult in proportion, like some, this, the, the makeup of your torso, I have the thing right now where I like, I know I have to sneeze, but it's not there. So now I'm doing the, the internal dialogue of like, do I really need, should I just go for it or, I think I'm good. Um, so low bar, high bar back squats, the same thing. If you can really keep your torso that upright and stay rigid in your torso, go ahead and high bar squat because it is gonna give you a lot of advantages. But if you find yourself having just zero ability to maintain that upright posture, start to learn to lower back squat because then you can start to incorporate your glutes and your low back and your hip flexors and your, uh, your adductors and things like that. Um, the sumo deadlift is the same thing. Athletes should incorporate the sumo deadlift. If you're not training specific just for the looks, I think you should incorporate the sumo deadlift because it puts much more emphasis on the muscles around the hips. It's a lot easier on the low back. So there's a lot of advantages to a football player, a wrestler, a combat sports athlete of any sort um, to opt for the sumo deadlift and the trap bar deadlift, okay? Uh, it's gonna incorporate, I think, a lot more useful musculature to carry over into most any sport, sprinting, everything. Um, but it is, it's something else to learn. You can't just dive right into it. You should really take the time to learn how to do it. And if you are someone who wants to conventional deadlift, but you're finding it impossible, and those, you people are out there, Everybody should squat, everybody should bench press, or, or a variation of the bench press. Maybe it just hurts your shoulders to do, but there should be some, you know, vertical plane. Excuse me. There should be some horizontal plane that you're pushing in, you know, and, and in a free weight movement. Um, and there should be some squat movement, some knee flexion, whether to the extent that it incorporates your hips I, is up to you, but there should be some squat and everyone can squat, whether it's low bar or high bar, everyone can do it. Not everybody can conventional deadlift. It's just the truth. There are people out there probably listening that there's, it's just impossible because of the length of your torso, the length of your limbs, you, know, you maybe have short arms, long legs, whatever. You just can't get low enough, your hips and your, you know, to get the bar there, keep it close to the shins, and just do a good conventional deadlift. It's just impossible biomechanically. So what do I say? Don't give up on that altogether. 
learn to sumo deadlift because everyone can do that. So that, that's my thoughts, my rather comprehensive thoughts, I should say. Hey, fellas, look, confidence in the bedroom is really important, and I understand it can be embarrassing to try to deal with that if you identify a problem. Well, Blue Chew is here to save the day. Blue Chew, it's a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in a chewable tablet, and it comes at a fraction of the cost. All right? You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever an opportunity arises. And the process is super simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com. Consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part is you don't have to deal with the embarrassment of waiting in line at the pharmacy, going to the doctor's office, zero awkward conversations. It all comes right to your door, and you get to avoid all the stuff that I know you don't want to deal with. Listen, the bedroom, when it goes down, you want to be able to perform. I get it. There's nothing wrong with that, okay? So get yourself some Blue Chew. BlueChew.com. Use the promo code Mikey. Receive your first month free. Visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information. Gosh darn it, do we ever thank you, Blue Chew, for sponsoring this podcast. Remember to use that promo code Mikey at checkout. Oh boy, I'm going to tell you about a spoon. A magic spoon. Growing up, cereal, it was one of the best parts of being a child, right? Getting a bowl of cereal, some ice cold milk, mmm, it made your whole day. Well, when we're all trying to eat better as adults, why not have the number one ace up your sleeve right in your pantry at all times? And that is Magic Spoon cereal. It tastes as good, if not better, than all of your favorite childhood cereals. But you don't get any of the junk. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, it's just a bunch of regular old sugary cereal with a, some protein powder added in. Oh, no, 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 no. Zero grams of sugar, 13, 14 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carbs in each serving. Only 140 calories per serving, and it's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, and low-carb. Amazing flavors. I've tried every one, and they're all delicious. Peanut butter, blueberry, cinnamon, cookies and cream, maple, waffle, fruity, cocoa. Oh, man. All of them are delicious. And they, like I said, they all taste as good as your favorite childhood cereals. So head on over to magicspoon.com slash Mikey. Grab a custom bundle of cereal. Try it today. Be sure to use the promo code Mikey at checkout. Save $5 off your entire order. Magic Spoon's so confident in this product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund all your money, no questions asked. Remember, get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash Mikey and use the code Mikey to save $5 off. Thank you so much, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this here episode. Um, Grant Rollo. Rollo. Ever done any research into eating according to blood type? Curious on your thoughts. I have, not a, not a great amount, but I have. And my thoughts are, if it is something that's medically necessary, I certainly would like double down on it. Out of all the like idiosyncratic ways of eating, I think it makes the most sense. And there's at least some science there. You know, like I'm a big, 
I, I get really angry at the idea of like gluten-free, dairy-free, because you're taking off the list a lot of stuff that can be very good on a diet and also nutritious. Just why? Because you say so, you know? Just because you say so. There's, there's not a lot of science back, you know, like I eat, I, have, I eat all, you know, I end up eating mostly fruit and meat because uh, it's super easily tolerated. And if you feel like you have trouble with it, you know, that's where I think the carnivore diet shines is that it's, ba it's based around the idea of like everything that is even possibly not tolerated well by, uh, by the human gut, you just take it off the list. And what are you left with? Red meat and, and most sweet fruits. They are uniformly tolerated well by the human system. Okay. But, you know, like body type diets and restrictionist diets where you're taking away fat or you're taking away carbs, all that stuff is not my cup of tea. Now, the blood type diet, there seems to be some medical stuff there that is outside my pay grade. And so I have done some research into it. In fact, I did it because of a caller on Loveline where, you know, Drew was kind of stumped by it. And it was in a little bit into my wheelhouse with nutrition. And so I did. I did a kind of a cursory investigation into it. And look, there's value to that. And it makes sense. I mean, your blood type and how you're, you know, honestly, like blood density, a lot of things with the blood are going to make a bit of a difference in how your body functions in a myriad of ways. So there's some, some science there. I don't want to be your last stop on asking someone about that because I certainly didn't dive into that one on the deep end. I, I got into the kiddie pool and took a look around. And I was like, mm -hmm, okay. And then I got the fuck out. <laughs> All right. Eddie's fitness journey. Hey, Mike. I have to eat 230 to 250 grams of protein a day, and I want to try OMAD or 2MAD. That is one meal a day or two meals a day. Is consuming that much protein within a meal or two really feasible? It's feasible. Absolutely feasible. I used to do it quite frequently. I'm not sure it's optimal, and it will take getting used to. Okay? My question is why? Do you really feel like it's going to make your life that much better? Then so be it. Um, meal frequency is largely inconsequential if you um, keep protein and, and calories the same. There's plenty of science to back that up. Performance, on the other hand, it can, it can affect. Uh, it's probably a better idea to eat smaller feedings if performance is your goal. But for physique training, for weight loss, for fat loss, for muscle synthesis, there's a lot of science to show that you know meal frequency is largely inconsequential. And a lot of people find it so much easier to, to, to adhere to a diet when they eat less frequently, okay? So do that if that's, if that's the case. If it's a convenience thing too, if you're just so busy, the last thing you wanna do is be like carrying Tupperware around or whatever. Uh, so you're just gonna eat once a day or twice a day. But just know going in that A, the studies that tricked people into believing like 30 to 35 grams of protein is the maximum that a human body can tolerate at, at a sitting is insane. They use whey protein isolate. They were, they were using people who were untrained. It was, it, there's a whole bunch of BS and malarkey involved in those studies that are misguiding people, okay? Um, if you're weight training, your, your protein synthesis is gonna be much higher. If you're uh, an experienced weight trainer, it's gonna be very high. Um, and also your ability to digest and utilize and your protein efficiency and your then subsequently your protein synthesis gets better with practice. 
okay? So if you've been eating 250 grams of protein a day for years, your ability to kind of deal with that is going to be uh, much higher than someone who's just getting into a high-protein diet. Um, but you just know that maybe at first, 125 grams in a sitting is going to feel terrible, but you get used to it. I have vegan friends who, when they went back to eating meat, they would, it was very, very small portions of meat would make them feel very ill, aggressively ill. But as time goes on, the body adapts. That's the greatest thing about the human body. One of the greatest things ever is that we are, uh, in, compared, in comparison to almost all other mammals, we're so adaptive. There are cultures around this world that we live on that eat nothing but like root vegetables and high starches and they thrive. And there are cultures that eat nothing but you know, high fat uh, aquatic protein, you know, fishes and, and whale blubber and whatnot, and they thrive. And there's, you know, cultures that eat almost exclusively red meats and things, and they thrive. We, we are incredibly adaptive. Uh, it might take some getting used to, and if two meals a day or one meal a day is what best serves you, and it's, and it's good for keeping you going and adhering to the diet that you're looking to adhere to, go for it. Just know that it is feasible, but it might take some getting used to. Uh, Dag Steven, my maintenance is currently about 2,000 calories, and I had been in a cut at about 1,600 for a little while, but finding it really hard to get all the protein and everything I need. So I'm curious, would you recommend a reverse diet, and how would you go about adding in those calories? Thanks, man. Lift heavy weights. Well, Dag Stevens, I, 1,600 calories really low, okay? You don't look like a teeny dude, unless, I don't know, unless, it, unless you're, there's a man and a woman in the um, in the picture, profile picture. So either way, I mean, 1600 calories is very low. I do think you probably overshot your calories for a cut, which can, you know, it takes its toll. Being in a great big deficit, you get the results quickly. Uh, and that's alluring, but it takes its toll. It never seems to work out long run. Never, ever, ever, zero times does that work out long run because you're, you, you are talking about this, the acceleration of your results, right? But you're also talking about the acceleration of the downtick in your metabolic hormones and the metabolic chemicals and activity in your body. Because as I was saying with the last guy, the last question I had is that the human body is wildly adaptive. Okay, so if you overshoot so dramatically, you're going to have a hard time. Now, assuming 1,600 calories is a proper uh, caloric set point for you to lose body fat, um, you know, let's say you're 140 pounds, you know, like, fine. Okay, so 1,600 calories isn't that. It shouldn't be that hard to get that much, because let's say you ate pure protein, 1,600 calories, that's 400 grams. Four hundred grams of protein. Now that would be assuming that you're getting zero grams of any other macronutrient, which is almost impossible. But I have a hard time believing that you can't get 200 grams, right? That's 800 calories. That's half. That's half of your calories for 1600 grams. Excuse me, 1600 calories. 50% protein. And that probably a pretty excellent breakdown um, to maintain your protein synthesis and hold on to muscle while you're in a, in a, in a cut, okay, when you're, when you're reducing your calories. Going that extreme with your protein, up to 50% of your daily caloric intake of pure protein is actually a pretty darn good idea. It's a great way to safeguard against muscle loss and to keep some of those metabolic um, 
pathways and, and the metabolic chemicals in your body functioning a little bit better than they would if you were to just keep uh, protein in the toilet when you go and reduce those calories. So you have to look at the other two macronutrients. When we, you know, I've always said like protein is your mortgage or your rent. It's non-negotiable. You have to pay that. So think of your calories as your daily, uh, or excuse me, your monthly income. Protein is your, your mortgage, okay? And, um, you know, carbs and fat, those are your car payment and your, uh, your food bill, you know, your, your groceries and your, your eating out. So every month, you, you, you can't, there's no negotiating the protein. There's no negotiating your mortgage. You pay that shit out. What do you have left over? That's up to you how you want to break that down. Um, how does it make you feel to drop your carbs down lower? How does it make you feel to drop your fat down lower? How do you feel significantly better doing one or the other? A nice even, I always start clients off with an even break of both. I'll go 40% protein, 30-30 of carbs and fat. And then we can adjust from there. Some people say it's like, oh my God, it's so hard. I'm getting 150 grams of carbs. It's like make me so tired. I'm like, oh really? Okay. Some people are like, I can't, I'm, I'm used to eating 400 grams of carbs, you know, a day, like, you know, athletes, ultra marathoners and stuff. So you just got to analyze your lifestyle, what your personal kind of physical reactions are to that, and then set aside the protein as a non-negotiable. And then the other two, you lower, you know, it's easier to lower carbs, I think, for sustainability, but it's just more effective to lower fat. Why? Because there's nine calories in every gram of fat, which is a little bit over double protein and carbs. You know, so when you're seeing uh, professional bodybuilders and physique athletes, there's very few that are going to be like in a ketogenic state because they are doing everything they can to pack as much, you know, glycogen and, and carb based stuff for energy and, and filling up those muscle cells. And of course, they have to have super high protein. So when they're bringing their calories down, the last thing they want to do is start tweaking the four calories per gram that go into a carb or a protein gram. When you have nine calories, over double in a gram of fat, okay, super low fat, just cutting out fat altogether, uh, is not a good idea. It's not good for your health. But lowering fat, you know, this is where people get into these problems with ketogenic-based diets or low-carb diets, is that they say, hey, I'm, I'm eating 50 grams of carbs a day. I'm good. I don't need to track anything. I was like, well, you had a stick of butter, an avocado, and a ribeye steak for lunch, and now you're eating again. You're already at your caloric limit, right? You know. So these are things I'm not by any means shitting on higher fat foods because I certainly have my fair share. But just keep in mind that when you're talking about management of calories, it is always more effective to start lowering the fat a little bit. You know? The sovereign man. I know this fella. What platforms do you want me to subscribe on? I am your humble servant. And question number two, what are your favorite lifting splits for working out three, four, or five days a week? I will answer that. But first, let me say this. The sovereign underscore, the underscore sovereign underscore man. Everyone should follow this guy. I'm, a fr I'm friends with this fella. He puts out great content about the idea of living a, a fully realized life as a, as a, as a man. And uh, he's a good dude. He's smart. Very smart. And I enjoy his presence. 
so let me say that. The underscore sovereign underscore man. But on top of this, he's a huge cock. And I'm not playing a joke here. This isn't just a silly joke. I train jujitsu with this guy. And he does just what all you giant cock guys do is he changes and then it's just like, oh, let me just pretend like there's not something going on down here. Let me, when I take my underwear off to change into my clothes, let me just pretend like this isn't an issue. And you're like, oh, 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 fuck. I came home from training and I told my wife, I was like, hey, you know, blah, blah, blah. She's like, yeah. I was like, he is a huge dick. Like, like huge. She's like, seriously? So then I called her, his wife. I texted her. I was like, blah, 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 has a gigantic dick. She's like, I know. Seriously. Like, it was effort to get to be able to even deal with that. And I was like, well, good on you. And good for him. Bravo. So, smart guy. A lot of interesting things to say. His content is fantastic. And massive cock. His questions. What platforms do you want me to subscribe on? I am your humble servant. YouTube, at Mike Catherwood on YouTube, or Mike Catherwood, just check me out. All the, sh- the podcasts are on there. Also, a lot of other content, you know, uh, exercise tutorials. I put together a playlist specifically of exercise tutorials. Um, some breakdowns on eating and nutrition and stuff like that. It's all at my YouTube channel. Please, I would love that. Subscribe. Also, uh, just download the podcast. I don't care. Wherever you get your podcast, make sure you subscribe there. Maybe even leave a nice comment. And tell a friend. I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, I really want this podcast to be bigger. Um, number two, what are your favorite lifting splits for working out three, four, and five days a week? Three days a week, I love full body. Full body three days a week with each of the three days getting a different emphasis. So, you know, day one would be squat and leg, lower body stuff, emphasis, but you're still also doing full body after that. Day two being more of like uh, posterior chain stuff, hammies, low back glutes, uh, traps, rear delts, and so, but you're still doing the whole body. And then day three being uh, push muscles, you know, but then subsequently doing the whole body. So that's my, I love that. And it's, it, hits, it checks so many boxes, whether you're losing body, you're looking to lose body fat, whether you're looking to increase athletic performance, whether you're looking to gain muscle mass, I think that that is like, it's great. And it leaves you a lot of time outside of the gym, which I also like as well. Four days a week, I love uh, training everything twice, upper body, lower body, splitting the body in half, upper body day, lower body day, and doing those twice each. So Monday, upper body, Tuesday, lower body, take Wednesday off, Thursday, upper body, Friday, lower body, you know, or, or however you want to work it. But four days a week, I love the upper, lower, upper, lower um, breakdown. Five days a week, I love push, pull, legs, upper, lower. That's one that I had cooled around with that I think is, is great. Because there's a lot of compelling science to show that uh, you want to train hard. You don't necessarily need to go to complete failure. Most people can't anyway, but you want to flirt with failure. Um, and you want to train each muscle group twice a week. Training twice a week, giving that stimulus twice a week is proven to be better than training once a week. I'm not saying you won't get a lot out of training once a week, but it's just been shown for muscle retention and muscle gain to train a muscle group twice a week. Uh, five to 10 sets um, within you know, three reps of failure, 
uh, for any muscle. You know, so if you can do that twice a week, it's been shown to be really good. So when you're taking different splits, I like to look at it as, what can we do to maximize that? So if you do push, pull, legs, and then you have two other days on a five-day split, one is upper and one is lower, um, I think it really gives you a chance to have like those two upper lower days at the end of the week to go heavy with not necessarily as high a volume, but to really get nasty. And then the other three days, push-pull legs to do some more focused training on, especially on lagging body parts. So those are my favorite breakdowns for three, four, and five days a week, depending on how you want to go after it. Uh, so thank you for those great questions and your massive cock. All right, everyone, thank you. I, I can't begin to express how much it means to me that people listen to this podcast that they are involved. Uh, it really genuinely touches me, and it, it is extraordinary. I can't, almost can't calculate how much it means to me to have patrons give me money to help support this podcast. It means a lot, and it makes this podcast go. So thank you so much. You can check out my Patreon if you're interested in more detailed assistance and if you just want, like, you know, adjunct information that goes along with the podcast. It's all at my Patreon. There's three separate tiers to choose from, and you can see the link in the show notes below. And in this crazy mixed-up world that makes you think that nobody cares, remember, I do. Be good. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean not a cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcast. Yes.